Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. It was tragic, but it was an opportunity for us to find a way to make it better. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs who are building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. This is episode 113 and today, September 20th, is the anniversary of Hurricane Maria's landfall on the U.S. territory of Puerto Rico. To commemorate, we are looking at the response to the subsequent and dramatic loss of electricity on the island. Millions were left without power, and many continue to this day waiting for PREPA, the local power authority, to turn the lights back on. Today, we'll look from both the nonprofit and for-profit angles at how solar energy and storage have been part of the rebuilding of the electrical infrastructure from two different perspectives. The first will be Andrea Lukey, founder and executive director of the Solar Foundation, which has raised several million dollars in support of the island. And the second is John Berger, CEO of Sonova Energy Corporation, the largest residential solar provider in Puerto Rico. So get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Today's episode is brought to you in collaboration with PV Magazine USA. With its independent technology-focused reporting, PV Magazine concentrates on covering the latest solar PV news, topical technological trends, and worldwide market developments. As we announced on Tuesday, this is an ongoing editorial cross-pollination between the two platforms. So if you are listening to us as a new listener from PV Magazine, thank you for checking out Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, we have a really interesting and exciting episode for you today. As you've just heard in the lead up, we are going to be looking at both the nonprofit and for-profit response to Hurricane Maria and aftermath, in particular, its effects on Puerto Rico and probably a little on the U.S. Virgin Islands. And we get the honor of having a very, very busy solar executive on the show today, Andrea Lukey of the Solar Foundation. Andrea, welcome to Suncast. Hey, Nico. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining. I know that you are extremely busy and it is an honor to have you on the show. Well, Andrea, for those who aren't familiar, of course, we're looking at the anniversary of Hurricane Maria. The Solar Foundation is a foundation funded by the DOE, the US DOE, Puerto Rico being part of the United States will remind all of those who are listening, <laughs> deserves some interest and attention, obviously. And we're going to talk about their response. But I'd like to set the stage. Can you just give us a better understanding? What is the Solar Foundation and your mission? And perhaps if you would differentiate a bit your work from other nonprofits that are working in the solar sector. Yeah, so the Solar Foundation is a national 501c3 nonprofit. We're based in Washington, D.C. 
And we are focused on advancing and expanding the use of solar and solar compatible technologies worldwide. And we are in great part funded currently by the U.S. Department of Energy. We run several major programs through them, but we also get some funding from foundations and industry and other stakeholders. We're most known for our solar jobs census work. Our job census is going into its ninth iteration this fall, and that work has been very seminal in helping advocates and stakeholders understand the value and the economic impacts of the solar industry. We are also known for our red tape cutting initiatives among cities and counties. We run a program called SolSmart, helping to create the market conditions for greater solar access. Well, Andrea, I wanted to highlight also for those who are unfamiliar with you and your background, there's a possibility that we'll have a longer interview here on Suncast at another time. But I'll go into really quickly, Andrea has deep experience in public policy and the interface with solar, having worked as the chief manager for the city of Milwaukee Shine program since 2008. Andrea is no noob to the solar industry and how policy impacts the landscape and in fact how solar jobs are created so one of the wonderful things and as you mentioned that you're most known for is the solar jobs work that you do in terms of the census i want to take a moment here and invite our co-host christian roseland to the show christian welcome hey nico how are you fantastic i want to give credit where credit's due the anniversary episode for hurricane maria and the aftermath is in large part due to the other gentleman on the line, Mr. Christian Rosalind. So today we're going to have the first ever co-hosted Suncast, as uh, of course we talked about here in the intro. So Christian, I'll, I'll see the floor to you. I know we've got a few questions we want to run through here with Andrea. Well, it's great to talk to you again, Andrea. And I really appreciated last fall when you spoke with us about your efforts in Puerto Rico. I believe it was November 4th when we published a piece in PV Magazine interviewing you about the effort Solar Saves Lives, which works on energy access in Puerto Rico with a combination of very powerful nonprofits and for-profit companies. But for people who didn't read that interview, can you give our listeners a sense of what Solar Saves Lives is and the work that it's doing on the island? So Solar Saves Lives is a partnership, as you mentioned, with some major relief organizations, including Direct Relief, the Clinton Foundation, the Asociación de Salud Primaria de Puerto Rico, and others. And it kind of cropped up overnight after Irma, after Maria. There were so many hurricanes last year. A lot of people in the industry came to me. They came together to discuss how they could help. And I personally received dozens and dozens of phone calls and emails and had many conversations with people like David Crane, the former CEO of NRG, the Clinton Foundation, even Bill Clinton, we were talking to him, (laughs) and to Sia and to many others on how best to leverage this outpouring of interest from industry to help Puerto Rico and other disaster-stricken areas to recover. And it was at that point that Solar Saves Lives was born. As you know, over 3 million American citizens lost power and were without power for months and months. And there were severe disruptions to food, water, health care. And it represented an enormous wake-up call for everybody to think about how best we can move forward and rebuild the electricity grid so that the infrastructure is no longer vulnerable. It was tragic, but it was an opportunity for us to find a way to make it better. 
And so this is a philanthropic effort whereby we've raised millions of dollars from foundations and others to deliver either donated or discounted high quality solar equipment and battery storage equipment to areas of urgent need like community shelters, medical clinics, food markets, places that are vital to communities. And so we've had a lot of interest from the industry. We've had several crowdfunding campaigns launched and we're going gangbusters in Puerto Rico and have formed numerous partnerships with local installers. That is so powerful. And it's great to see that the industry really stepped up. I remember that article that Christian referenced and becoming aware that the industry was starting to mobilize in unity, not just individual containers shipping into the island. Has the support maintained momentum through the year? A lot of things that we see, right, is two, three months after we see things start to taper. Could you talk about how you have continued to see donations come in and maybe there's an opportunity to present how folks could continue to support because the effort is not, is very much still a current need. Obviously, the momentum has waned, but people have not forgotten about Puerto Rico and we are still receiving donations here and there from interested stakeholders. We're trying to raise about $60,000 to purchase several hundred solar suitcases to dispatch to first responders on the island. We're trying to raise money to purchase solar and storage equipment for our medical clinics. We are currently in the process of trying to equip 67 medical clinics in Puerto Rico with sizable systems. And so there is still an opportunity for folks to get involved and to donate to our initiative. It's tax deductible and people can go to solarsaveslives.org. But we're really getting the bulk of our resources from foundations and the major humanitarian aid and relief organizations. We should not forget that it takes a long time to reestablish decades-long commitments to energy access on an island that is very remote, but yet still part of our United States. Puerto Rico has a long history since I was back at you know, my Trina days of installing solar on the island. There are a lot of local solar companies. How has Solar Saves Lives partnered with and leveraged the local for-profit ecosystem, if you will, for impacting the island? Well, there's a lot of activity on the island. There's Tesla and Sunrun and Sonova. Sonova has 10,000 customers on the island, 80% of which are residential. And they've been there very actively repairing any damage to their customer systems at no cost, which is really key because the average annual income in Puerto Rico is only $20,000. And so Sonova is going there and fixing the systems that were damaged. But then we're also seen a lot of activity from local installer companies like New Energy and Pura Energia and others. And there's some really great companies in Puerto Rico that are remaining, you know, 8% of the Puerto Rican population left after the hurricane, but several companies have decided to stay and they're working on beefing up their workforce capabilities and trying to do more work. And so we've entered into contracts with several of the local installer companies and plan to do more and more. As I mentioned, we've completed six health clinics that range from 18 to 43 kW of PV with 20 to 40 kilowatt hour battery packs. But we aim to do 
67 total. So we've got about 61 more medical clinics to go. So we've got a lot of work for local installers to do. And so we're working primarily with local installer companies. We're very interested in stimulating and supporting the local economy. And we have found that they're very capable and are doing a great job. New Energy, in particular, is an amazing company. Their CEO, Alejandro Uriate is an incredible person who has committed a lot of his time and his staff time to the relief efforts, totaling, you know, several hundred thousands of dollars worth of in-kind. And, you know, that's, in my opinion, it's, it's a testament to how committed they are to rebuilding their precious island. And I'm very pleased to see that level of commitment with the local installer groups. So when you talk about the state of what's going on with the recovery there, what are we seeing today in terms of Puerto Rico and so in terms of the return of the electricity system? And, you know, I guess what I'm really curious about is all of these solar and storage systems that have gone online in the aftermath of the hurricane. In your mind, have these become an integrated part of the power system or was this just a stopgap measure? Well, I can't really speak for other groups that are in the field implementing and installing, but the six installations that we completed were for emergency power because of how long it took for the power to be restored. So in many ways, they were stopgap measures. They were designed to be off-grid, but configured so that they could be interconnected once PREPA was able to accommodate the systems. And all of our systems have now been interconnected. There was a lot of uncertainty for a long time, and we toyed with the idea of being grid defectors. And it did take a long time, but eventually we got all of them interconnected. The systems are now kind of enjoying the best of both worlds. They're helping PREPA to permanently diversify and strengthen its electricity mix. And God forbid, if the power goes out again, (laughs) they're configured so that they can operate as standalone systems with battery backup powering the most critical predetermined loads. So that's good. And they're kind of straddling both sides. And I guess when you look at this, do you see solar and storage as something of the new reality for Puerto Rico? How much of a role do you see it playing now on the grid? It's hard to say how much activity there's been. What we do know is that before the storm, there was 157 megawatts of PV installed across 11,000 projects. I don't know how much more PV has been installed since or how important solar and solar and storage is. But what I can tell you is that nobody is just installing solar anymore. It's always going to be solar plus storage. As I always say, solar is good, but solar plus storage is great. And why would you do anything else? And so there does seem to be an appetite for it. PREPA has announced this past summer two major things that I think are going to be progressive and helpful. Now, generation can be privatized, and they are allowing now for microgrids. And so those are the two things that have prevented the grid in Puerto Rico from taking its first steps. And I think that those two changes will have a positive impact on the solar plus storage sphere. Andrea, that is fantastic. And of course, as you mentioned, we're not done with this current hurricane season. So who knows what hurricanes or what storms we will yet see as the season unfolds. I wonder what's next for Solar Saves Lives. Uh, You're currently focused on Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. What does the future vision look like for Solar Saves Lives? Any mandates as you continue to raise funding? How will that roll out? 
We're in this for the long haul in Puerto Rico. We're going to continue to install solar and storage on several more clinics this year and next. As I mentioned, we aim to cover all of the 67 medical clinics. And these are nonprofit medical clinics that will treat anybody regardless of their ability to pay or their insurance status. So we're really very interested in the public safety and health aspect. And so we're very, very committed to getting all of the medical clinics covered. And we have new funding from the Helmsley Charitable Trust that's going to allow more installations at more clinics beyond the health centers. We're, we're looking at other priority locations that could benefit from solar and storage, like the market I mentioned, the Rio Piedras Plaza del Mercado food market. We're in it for the long haul, and we're also looking beyond Puerto Rico. We're facing other disasters right now in the U.S. and worldwide with the typhoon in in the Philippines. What happened in Puerto Rico is devastating, but it's not unique. And the world is now just a lot more vulnerable to climate-driven disasters. You know, right now in North and South Carolina, close to three quarters of a million residents are without power. Who knows how long that's going to last? We're actively looking and watching. But yeah, climate change is fueling these disasters and it's making them worse and it's making them more likely. The United States had $16 billion weather disasters in 2017 alone. You know, it's costing us billions of dollars. It's taking lives. It's killing people. It's heartbreaking. On the flip side, the one positive, I guess, is that it's shining a very bright spotlight on the urgent need to build smarter and to build more resilient infrastructure and to go beyond the previous infrastructure standards. In Puerto Rico, very little was built to withstand a Category 4 or a Category 5 hurricane. My concern is that with all the FEMA dollars and all of the investments that are taking place, they're going to miss an opportunity to upgrade to the level that will allow them to withstand a severe Category 4 and 5 hurricane. We're hopeful. There's a lot of challenges, but the Solar Foundation and the Solar Saves Lives team, we stand ready and we're going to respond and help with recovery and relief in all of the ways that we can. We certainly want to stand with you and stand behind you in any way that we can. For those who are perhaps in the Caribbean, working uh, jointly with others in the Caribbean or in need of your support, how would someone reach out and ask to partner with Solar Saves Lives? Well, on our website, solarsaveslives.org, you can find out all about the initiative and call me up shoot me an email. (laughs) We're very happy to talk to people about partnering, about resources, and we're very frequently considering adding new partners to Solar Saves Lives. I know you're listening to this episode because you're tired of doing things the old way and looking for a new approach. And that is precisely why my friends at CPS America, aka Chint Power Systems, have agreed to help make this fresh content possible for you. See, they believe in the power of change and the importance of trying something before others catch on. They are the U.S. market share leader of three-phase string inverters, pioneering that approach since before it was cool. With over two gigawatts shipped in America, Chint's feature-rich, high-performance inverters and its nimble service team are ahead of the pack, just like you. If you'd like to find out what CPS can do for your CNI and utility business, reach out to me for an intro, nico at mysuncast.com. 
or you can reach out to them directly and just let them know you heard it here on Suncast. Well, it's certain that Solar Saves Lives is doing its fair share to ensure that the needs of the Puerto Rico population, and in particular the critical infrastructure of food and medicine, are being supported by solar power. Now we're going to turn our focus to the discussion of how the for-profit sector has responded. Looking through the lens of the largest residential solar energy provider on the island, Sunova. Let's check in now with the CEO, John Berger, and get more insight into the integration of renewables and the State of the Union for the Puerto Rico Electricity Grid and Supporting Solar Policies. John, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on Suncast, especially as we reflect back on a year post a massive disaster in a U.S. territory, that being Hurricane Maria on the island of Puerto Rico. For those who aren't familiar with Sonova, would you help us understand the historical context of your involvement in Puerto Rico, as well as the broader picture of what Sonova is focused on? Sonova was founded back in 2012. We originated our first customer in 2013. And by mid-2013, we uh, opened up business on the island of Puerto Rico. We uh, were based and headquartered in Houston, Texas. Houston is, is very well known, has a very diverse demographic. In fact, we're the most diverse city in the entire United States. And with that diversity obviously comes uh, a lot of Spanish-speaking people from a lot of different countries, not just Mexico, but from Central and South America, even some folks from Spain itself, right? So we have a very deep pool. Uh, We just so happen to have some of our early uh, employees spoke Spanish. And I noticed that a lot of the customers, you know, you could only hear one side of the conversation, but no, a lot of the customers were, you could just tell more at ease when they were speaking Spanish. And so I asked, I said, well, how many of our competitors speak Spanish? And they, and they came back, well, none. I said, well, let's hire more people to do, and let's ramp that up. Part of that was it was natural for us to start talking about going into Puerto Rico. And we looked around at what made the most attractive market, and still is in the United States, for solar and now solar and storage, which was Hawaii. So what made Hawaii so successful that now one in four Hawaiian homes have solar on, right? And it, if you go back and look at it, it's pretty much that it's an island. You've got oil fire generation. Typically, that generation is not in good shape. It's not highly efficient. And you don't have a very big population. Now, the interesting thing about Puerto Rico, it's one of the most populous islands on the entire planet. With that said, they have a lot more issues than, say, just a normal area like Hawaii with regards to the fiscal problems that uh, the utility and the government had and so forth. And so it really made high price power very clearly was here to stay and still is here to stay. In fact, it's most likely to go higher. And so when we looked at that situation, we thought, you know what, here's a great market where people really need um, solar. Uh, they really need it. And it's, it's something that can make their life better. Nobody had been able to or was willing to go in and do that and go out there and help the people of Puerto Rico. We took the plunge and we did it. And we went out there in 2013 and had been there ever since. Just to give perspective for those who may not really understand how power works in islands, what do you estimate is the avoided cost, not the consumer cost, but the avoided cost on the island for PREPA as you go in basically competing with the incumbent? 
I think it's quite significant. I mean, the math is, especially with this uh, incumbent, is, um, shall we say, challenging uh, to really get the, the straight uh, scoop. I think uh, everybody would agree on that, uh, maybe even including PREPA. It's certainly well south of what anything's possible for them to do with regards to paying any of the debt off. I mean, that debt is basically for infrastructure that, to their, you know, to many people's point of view, needs to be completely replaced. So if you owe money on, on an old car that needs to be junked, that's not good, right? Because then you got to buy, not only pay that off, you got to buy a new car. What we see as an interesting opportunity is to actually come in at the right time and say, you know what, why don't we take a real tragedy? If you look at this fiscal situation, like the money situation, not good. And how do we make that into something that's really positive for the people of Puerto Rico? And it really is the right opportunity to come in and say, why don't you lead the world working towards a new energy economy? And that is behind the meters, solar and storage, working in conjunction with the grid, but not having all that money plowed back into the grid per se, allow the consumers to choose what they want, what level of storage do they want, what level of reliability do they want. Let the companies like myself compete for the business instead of just, this is what the rate is. You're going to like it. We spent this much money. You know, the politicians let us do this and this and that. So this is what you're going to get. And at this level of reliability, which is really obviously not that high of reliability whatsoever, right? So it's really a great opportunity to come in there and show it's not the future. It's the present of the energy businesses and really make that beneficial for the people of Puerto Rico. Now, when we talk about that present, obviously a year ago, we had this major disaster. Electricity service was interrupted to pretty much the entire island. It took a very long time to get back. Can you talk about what that was like for Sonova's customers in the aftermath of the hurricane and, and the kind of role that energy played in the aftermath of that disaster? If you look at the current system, and this is true for many other areas, in fact, all areas of the United States, but certainly most true for Puerto Rico, that is the weakest part of the system is actually the transmission and distribution system of a centralized grid. It is what it is. It's a wire in the air. And if you look at what happened there, it wasn't even the very inefficient, nasty oil fire generation that really caused the problem. That wasn't helpful, but those generators were back online for the most part within a few days. It was the poles and wires. And so, when you look at what happened here, we knew immediately, even ahead of time, that the weakest link in our service to our customers was PREPA, was the monopoly. And that was exactly the issue. Because just like everywhere else, you have these inverters tied up by law to basically go down, our solar systems go down with the grid, hence our systems went down even though they, they were functioning in, in many, many cases. What most people, including there's been some Senate testimony and so forth uh, numerous times on this, yeah, I think most people would think, oh, well, it was the solar system blew off the roof. No, it was the wire that went down that got blown down. That was the issue. And so we had to wait on PREPA. That's what happened. Depending upon where you were, that's what it was the governor in terms of when you got back on service with us. Now, there's some repair jobs that were you know, worse off than others and so forth. And so we're finishing those repairs up now. No customer paid a penny for any of those repairs. This is why you want a service provider, by the way, trying to do it yourself. That would have been a nightmare getting in line with trying with everybody else trying to get repairs. And if you had batteries, which is what we're doing exclusively now, tying batteries in with our new customers, then you wouldn't have had a problem, right? Because you could have been running off the grid. You know, and if it took a year to get, which in some cases it did, 
to get the prepa back up and running, then you would have been no worse for the wear. And that's really what we started to do immediately was to say, okay, clearly this, no matter what happens, the grid's not going to be something that I think a lot of people can rely on. And so one of the answer, you know, answers to go back to the question that you asked me earlier is, well, if I deliver a better service, i.e. higher reliability than what a centralized monopoly or a wire in the air can deliver, shouldn't I get paid a little bit more for that than something that has a huge amount of reliability issues? The answer is yes. How much so? It just depends on the marketplace, but it, it should be a little bit more. But if I can deliver that and enhance reliability at cheaper than what the wires can do, and we're starting to see in some cases that that's absolutely the case, boy, we really should win, right? That should show you fundamentally that the economics of solar and storage are here to stay. And we're starting to be able to see that, particularly when you add on this huge increase that was negotiated to pay back some of the debt that was owed uh, previously uh, by Parappa to the bondholders. What portion would you say of your, your systems that are going on now are solar paired with storage? And are these systems that are going to be able to operate when the grid is down? 100% of the systems uh, have storage. We're not doing any of the wires only. And so therefore, they all have backup capacity? Yeah, some more than others. It just depends on what you opt in for, but yes. Yeah, it seems to me, as an observer, as someone who's been in the industry for over a decade, the level on an island of peace of mind that a customer receives from, number one, having the backup power, and number two, knowing that they have, as you mentioned, a service provider, not relying on their own ingenuity, that's a big selling point for Sonova and those who offer these types of services for residential customers on the island. Have you noticed that others are also taking the approach that Sonova is, which is to offer battery coupled systems out the gate? They are. I think there's a lot of interest in still using a net metered construct with the utility. Just to be clear, on a moving forward basis post-storm, that's all of our customers have storage. We want to also upsell our customers with batteries that are, you know, that were brought back online that were just having prep or net metered construct. So we want to do that. Why do we want to do that? Because candidly, I can't look anybody, I mean, my customers in the eye and say, yep, you know, prep is going to come back better than ever. I just I can't get there. And so if I lived there, I would want them to have a battery with solar coupled you know, system. So we, we, don't, we don't sell anything other than that just because it's not, frankly, it's just not the right thing to do for the customer. So as a major provider on the island, providing alternatives to the incumbent, PREPA, what's your assessment of the state of the union, the current electric grid? What work are you guys doing with and on behalf of your customers at the state and at the higher government level in Washington to to ensure that this level of resiliency is adopted at at an island level, not just with your customers? We've been doing a lot. We propose to convert the investment tax credit into a grant for both Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. Like so many things else uh, in Congress, it's, it, doesn't seem, it seems like there's some interest, but it can't really get traction to get across the goal line. We've been pushing that. That was our idea. We created and pushed that idea. Trying to find something that just to be direct about it that would be acceptable both to the Republicans and the Democrats. So we're still continuing to push that solution out there. We're trying to find ways at which, at the end of the day, the grid should largely have as little invested into it as need that is needed, and the market should be opened up. Puerto Rico should become a uh, a model economy, new energy economy for the rest of the world, not just the United States. And we're we're absolutely everything going for Puerto Rico to do just that. 
The unfortunate side of it is that there's a natural inclination just to go back to the same well, to keep trying the same thing that, you know, clearly hasn't worked in years and go rebuild, you know, this and go tax the people of Puerto Rico or pull in some U.S. taxpayer money and so forth. And it's just not financially practical. It's a mind bender for a lot of people who still think solar is the most expensive and the only reason I exist because Obama was president for eight years or whatever the case is, is that somehow just subsidized. And the, the fact of the matter is no, no dirty oil fired centralized generation. That's what's being subsidized. Right. Solar is a technology that's lapped the, uh, the dirty centralized oil fired generation completely. And we need to be investing in that and allowing the market to work. Maybe I don't come up with the best ideas or Snowbit doesn't have the best ideas. There should be some other companies out there that will be attractive to the market, to Puerto Rico, and we're starting to see that, where they can come up with some other innovative ideas and, and make us compete for the customer. Then the customer wins. And that's all we want is a fair and open competition where the poles and wires are fairly managed by the regulator, that the prep up follows the law, that would be a big step forward, and that they actually look at this in a completely different fashion and say, stop trying to throw a bunch of good money after bad. Let the consumers vote with their pocketbook as to what they want to pay and what they want to pay for. So with the potential privatization of PREPA looming on the horizon, what's going to happen with solar and storage? And what do you see next? I don't see whether it stays in the current format or becomes a federally owned utility, which is another option out there, or becomes privatized. You can't hold back technology and consumers. And I don't know how many times I got to explain that to any utility. It's like you can do whatever you want in within the PUC and everything. But at the end of the day, technology and consumers are going to win. Mm-hmm. And if, it, if it's not towards my direction, if they see if the consumer wants something completely different, then guess what? I guess I'm not going to win. And I didn't make the right bet. That's what's made this country great. That's what's propelling solar and, and storage forward. Because you know what? People do want solar and storage in their homes especially in Puerto Rico. And so I don't think it matters at all whether this is a deregulated entity or it goes back into the same existing. You just have to make sure that everything's on a level playing field and the consumers get to pick what they want. That's what's most important, that we don't rack up yet another $9 billion plus dollar bill to go build the same failed infrastructure, which, by the way, solar and storage are moving, still moving in terms of technological improvement and cost improvement. If you're not economically doing a good job for consumers today, you darn sure aren't going to be doing that in two years, five years, and let alone 10 years. Let's be smart. Let's think about this a little bit ahead of time and not just go in there and, again, throw good money after bad. Well, it's certainly encouraging to hear the CEO of Sonova, John Berger, talking about the evolution of our industry, not just for the people of this uh, disaster-torn area of the Caribbean, But you guys have uh, customers throughout the U.S. Resiliency is increasingly a conversation happening. Mainland with utilities as well. Be interesting to see how this evolves for you guys. It's also, I'll note, encouraging that you're one of the few who has stuck it out. You were there before Maria, long before Maria. And this wasn't a passing flame for you guys to say, hey, we're going to help our customers. And as the largest residential solar provider on the island, I hope that that will give credence in Washington and elsewhere for your efforts to bring solutions and resolutions that really do impact and benefit the Puerto Rico government, Puerto Rico people, and ultimately the energy infrastructure moving forward. We're going to keep the fight up to make sure that uh, the people of Puerto Rico get to choose what they want. Fantastic. John Berger of Sanova, thank you so much for taking time to be on Suncast, and thanks for your commitment to improving the lives of Puerto Ricans. Thank you, Nico. Thank you, Christian. 
Hey, Solar Warrior, that was quite an insightful dive into a timely topic and one that stands as a bellwether for many other regions, not just the island of Puerto Rico. If you enjoyed that episode and you are hankering for more, I want you to know that we can continue hanging out through the rest of the week online and in the Solar Tribe community. There's a ton of other Suncast episodes if you haven't listened through those. I'd love your thoughts and feedback. This was a bit of a different episode. If you are familiar with Suncast, you don't usually have any co-host or co-collaborators, but Christian and I thought that it might be interesting to get his perspective, so we just had him go ahead and ask his questions right there in the interview. I would love to hear what you thought of that. If you'd like to hear more of it, Christian and I have ideas for other episodes and He's got a bit of a history in radio, so we're going to see where this goes. So why don't you let us know what your thoughts are on that and this episode, for that matter. We'd love to hear from you. And if you've been listening for a while now and you're wondering how else you could connect and support, would you please consider supporting financially through becoming a member of my Suncast tribe? You can go to mysuncast.com slash member to learn more. Of course, you can also join the more than 10,000 other solar warriors who follow me on Twitter, which is going to be particularly useful this coming week during SPI. My handle is at Nico Mayo. That's an I-C-O-M-E-O. And you'll see my live tweets coming up. And if you're on my email list, check your email. You should have gotten an invite to the Suncast Tribe happy hour that I'm planning for 9 p.m. on Monday evening in Anaheim. Well, next week, I'll be doing some live recording from SPI, and for those of you who are listening from afar, don't worry, there's an episode queued up for you as well with Nadeem Chowdhury, the CEO and founder of Green Power Global. Nadeem has built his entire business around serving the booming Latin America markets, and we discuss what he's learned and where he sees it going. To all my current tribe members, I wish you much love and great success, and I do hope to see you, high-five you, hug you, in Anaheim. Come find me. I look forward to formally welcoming you into the tribe as well, my friend. Thanks again for showing up. It's half the battle. <laughs>